We have a group of the pastor's children at uh, PK Retreat. Pastor's kid has had a negative connotation for years. They're just a PK. And uh, so I had a friend who started teaching and trying to change that negative connotation to privileged kid. Very privileged our kids have been. So we have a group there, a lot going on. I have, a, I have a, really a lot on my mind today, a lot to share, a lot to talk about. And I've, um, I'm trying to consolidate so I don't go off on too many, um, I don't know, as they call rabbit trails. When we were singing, we were singing, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Now last week we learned about the Reformation, and that was penned by Martin Luther, and just dealing with uh, the dark forces of the time and recognizing the grace of God and that He will win the battle. When He says He must win, He means that He will win. There's no one else who can win the battle. Mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark, a wall, a battle wall for a castle. It was a time of castles during the time of Christ, the time of, of a Luther as well. But if you notice the theology of the song just deals with Satan. There's no equal here on earth. He is out to destroy you and your faith. He wants to overtake Christianity. He is active in the world, coming to and fro in the earth, as he told God in the book of Job, wanting to come against Job. He knew that there was a hedge around him. He... Uh, in the New Testament, the Apostle Peter, who had to deal with the Satan, knew that he was as a roaring lion seeking him whom he may devour. He wants to devour your faith. Jesus was telling the disciples, telling Peter, Satan wants to sift you as wheat. That Jesus was aware of that, that Satan was seeking that and was informing Peter that your faith is going to be interrupted. And Jesus knew that Peter would run, and he says, but when you are converted, when you return, strengthen the flock, strengthen the brother, strengthen the church. We've talked about a lot of cultural issues lately, and I would say that what we have dealt with the last few months has been intent, more intense for me as a pastor than what happened last year with COVID and what continues to happen with COVID. I'm dealing with sickness and death in the church and not only that, you know, Satan really does seek to kill and destroy. He was a liar from the beginning. He deceived Adam and Eve to bring them into death. He knew the commandment of God. The day you eat this, death is going to come into the world. And so Satan does seek to destroy God's people. I'm a person of patterns. I watch as a shepherd, as a pastor, what's happening. I, I told every single person that was getting baptized. I almost talk people out of baptism nowadays because I watch what happens after baptism. I'm, I'm serious. They put, you put a target on yourself, and, and sometimes we're waiting. You know, I believe in believer's baptism. You wait till one believes, and they are baptized. I've watched... Parents destroy a kid's faith. I was excited for God. This morning, Savannah usually stays at home with Emma and Marissa. They're getting ready. Jessica comes down and she prepares um, for the praise team practice. And I come down to prepare and I usually go home and, and end up bringing them down together. And they came down this morning. I was in my office and I could hear this loud voice. It's Emma running around the church. Yay! 
She's so excited about whatever's going on. Setting up coffee. Yay! Fun. Kids love coming to church. They have a wonder I can't even grasp. They're excited about the things of God. Emma has harassed me over the last month. Dad, I want to be baptized. Dad, I want to be baptized. Dad, I want to be baptized. I'm making sure does she understand what we're doing here. You know, she's heard me talk about baptism. We've been working through those things. And I wrestle with the timing of that, you know, and faith and what happens and, and you know, trusting Christ to be there for them. But every single time you say yes to Jesus in any area of your life, regardless if it is, I'm going to make Sunday morning a priority and nothing is going to keep me from that, something is going to try to keep you from that. Satan is going to interrupt good godly habits. Somebody finally says, I want to start tithing, I want to do right with my finances. What happens? A deal shows up. My friend is selling this thing. We can get a deal on it. It's a test. It is real. I've watched it for years. I'm watching it now. I'm watching it. It's a reality. Um, It's time for worship. And then crisis happens over the weekend. I was sharing this a few uh, months back. A new thing is, um, my friends and family are in town. I can't come to church. That's a weird one to me, out of all of them. Your family's in town. We have family coming into town in December. And if we got up and, and, oh, Jessica's parents are coming to town. I'm going to text everybody at the church. Can't make it. (laughs) Family's in town. That would be odd, wouldn't it? I've already said, if they said anything like that, they're getting an early flight back. It's just the reality of it. We're serving Jesus, and you're coming with us. You honor your host in the home. I'm not skipping church because of family and friends in town. Um, But these are little nuances of things, how Satan corrupts your faith. Because if you miss a Sunday based on any given factor, what happens? Now you've created a precedence. When family's in town, then no church. When holiday weekend, no church. When sick, no church now. In fact, if you have any kind of a, anything now, everybody, oh, they must have COVID. No one ever got sick before COVID. I don't even know how we've survived and did life. People get sick. We are getting sick. I know many people, as we know, many have died of COVID. It is serious. I don't mean to downplay that. I just mean that it has corrupted our way of thinking. It has corrupted our priorities. Um, it's just things that are on my mind this morning. We were singing the hymns, um, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. There's a word in there, Sabaoth. Did you guys see that in that weird word? Like, what was Martin Luther thinking, right? It's King James Version. Uh, that word, uh, as translated from the Latin Vulgate, he would have translated from, and we had in our King James years ago, you would have saw that on a regular basis. It means the Lord of hosts. When you see those words, there's theology behind them. There's meaning that God is sovereign. He is the mighty God. He is over all things. It's a reminder that He is in control. Our culture has forgotten that there is a sovereign God. And we should rest in His will and plan for our life. David was just sharing this morning the Scriptures. Our days are numbered. Our days are numbered. And thinking about how it's ordered in life. And we are, not af- we are afraid today to take challenges and um, what we face. And we want to face it oftentimes without God. But as that came in, it made me think of theology and um, 
Oh, Holy Night, we sing that every year around Christmas. And it says, sin and error are pining. Do you guys remember that? Have you seen that? And it's a part of the song, you're like, what does that mean? Uh, another song we raise in Ebenezer, it's allusion to Old Testament theology that God is our help. Um, sin and error are pining means Adam sinned. Sin is in the world. And it's a reminder when we were singing these songs in the theology, like when we come to sing that in December, oh, holy night, it is a reminder that sin and death is in the world. And Christ came to overcome sin and death. In fact, He overcame sin at the cross. And if we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we have Christ in our life, we can say no to sin. We have power of God in our life. And overcame death. So this is what God has been saying to me as we're preparing for fall and Thanksgiving and November and December. I was just thinking about um, Emma and talking about believing in Christ and being baptized and thinking about death and thinking about heaven. And somebody was sharing last week where somebody had said they didn't want to go to heaven. Who would want to go to heaven where it's good all the time? It would be boring. When has good all the time ever been boring? Like we used to go to these adventure places when we were a kid, putt-putt, video games, laser tag, baseball. We were like, yes, we never wanted to leave. Heaven is going to be good all the time. It's not going to be boring. Um, so I decided I want to preach a message on heaven because we don't talk about heaven much anymore. That it is a place that I want to be. Um, heaven and earth, of course, Christ is coming. There will be a new heaven and a new earth, but it is a destination for us. Presently, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you have new life. You will be in the presence of God, and God is going to do this new thing, and we're going to have heaven and earth, a new heaven and a new earth, and all this good experience, and we don't look forward to it anymore. I'm excited about these things. Eventually, I will close my eyes in death. The New Testament uses this when a believer dies. It says they have fallen asleep. It's a way of euphemistic word of just saying that it's not the same for the believer. They've closed their eyes in death. They will be resurrected. There will be new life. This is what we believe in. You know, every funeral I do, I remind people of the resurrection, and you'd be surprised that people are like, there's a resurrection? There's afterlife? I don't know what has happened in any other funeral memorial where they're not talking, well, let's give them our good thoughts. I don't give people good thoughts, by the way. I give them prayers. I intercede. When we say prayers and good thoughts, now we're just meshing in paganism. That We want to think positive thoughts because they have power somehow. I pray for somebody. We believe this. I remind the church every time there's a memorial service, a funeral, whatever we're doing. We believe this as a church. That Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by Him. And He told Mary at the, the funeral of Lazarus. Jesus interrupts funerals and demonstrates life. And we're all going to close our eyes in death and with hope, trusting that we will open our eyes, literal, physical, spiritual, until the physical, the resurrection eyes and see Jesus Christ. Anybody that could not walk on earth will run in heaven. They could not see. They will have the most clear vision they've ever had. 
They will see the resurrected Christ, the Lamb of God, who has overcome the sins of the world, to take away the sins of the world. Everlasting life is what we are going to experience. In all God's goodness, everything, everything, the, the smallest good thing we've experienced on earth is going to be the greatest thing. It's just, we just don't have a grasp on our, our eyes are darkened and clouded by this world. And we need to remind people we have hope. I was sharing, I think, at the funeral um, for Betty, Grandma Elkin's words, who have a lot of weight with them. She's as a prophetess in the Elkins family, always speaking a word of hope. And uh, so we love Grandma Elkins, but I remember when my grandfather, great, uh, my grandfather Harold Hutchinson passed away, and I've shared this before, but my brother, my younger brother at the time was asking my grandmother why people were crying and why she wasn't crying. Now, it's not to say you can't cry. It's just he was making an observation. Grandma Elkin said this, that the Christians mourn differently. And it's okay to cry. Obviously, Christ wept in John chapter 11 at the tomb of Lazarus. But our weeping is different. We are weeping toward something. We're weeping toward the hope of glory that we have in Christ Jesus. All right, with that being said, let's get into the message of Jesus Christ today, okay? Um, the late Warren Wearsby was a minister who served in many capacities throughout his lifetime. We have a picture here. He served for several years as the pastor of the Moody Bible Church in Chicago, Illinois. We shared about um, Lutzer a few weeks ago who also had served there. He was there about seven years, I believe. He said this, and I love this. He said, The Christian who walks with the Lord and keeps constant communion with Him will see many reasons for rejoicing and thanksgiving all the day long. So as we get into this today, I want you to step back and begin to look at things differently. I am a Christ follower. I trust in Jesus Christ. His words comfort me. I believe this theology. And there's things that happen throughout the day. If I'm walking in communion with Him, many things to be thankful for. Today, our culture is griping about everything. They are discontented. Uh, godliness and contentment together is good for us as Christians that we should be given thanksgiving all the day long. So church, I want to deal with this subject today and it's an appropriate time as we get into the month of November. There's a build toward the day of Thanksgiving and it's like we're kind of thankful we have a great meal and then the next day we go out and become materialist and buy a bunch of stuff on Black Friday. Um, but the idea is I want us to walk in the spirit of Thanksgiving on a regular basis. And if you're not living in a life of or a life of gratitude, I hope that it begins today that Christians are thankful people. In fact, we are thankful for what God has given us and the path that we walk down with him. If there are those in our there are many in our present culture who believe uh, they can be Christians church without Christian character without the church, without the scriptures, and ultimately without the true Jesus Christ. They've taken the name Christian without these things. But I would describe them as this, as we're looking at scriptures and as people are denying what it means to be Christian. They would be like a ship leaving the dock with no captain, no compass, no map, and with a leak in the hull of the ship. We cannot take the name Christian without his life. We cannot take the name Christian without his teachings 
without the leadership that he gives us. So with that being said, we are developing a biblical worldview as Christians. That we see things differently. We put on our lenses and they are spiritual. We have spiritual lenses that say we should be thankful for the things that we have. And it's one of the reasons we read this scripture every time we gather. It's um, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 and we recite this and there's a reason for this. Timothy was brought up in the faith and had known the Scriptures from a young age. So we're reciting this. This will be the Scripture we get into in a minute. So let's, let's recite this together. All Scripture. It is breathed out by God and is useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives, it corrects us when we are wrong. It teaches us to do what is right. Amen. Let's get into this. Luke chapter 17, we're in the next passage here, verses 11 through 19. On the way to Jerusalem, when he, Jesus, was passing along between Samaria and Galilee, and as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers. It's a regular basis for Jesus. He's moving from town to town. He's healing people. And so this is normative now. People were crying out to him all the time. You may remember the two blind men crying out to be healed, and the disciples people were trying to quiet them down. So the ten lepers who stood at a distance, lifting up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks that he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way, for your faith has made you well, in some translations, or whole in other translations. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we pray that you bless your words as they go out. Let us be your true believers. Let us take in your teachings. Let us live them out in our life. Let us demonstrate our faith in our church community and in our community here in Casper. And Lord, that we would be a light in a dark culture, that people would come to you giving praise to you, giving honor to you, and glory to you for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Here in this passage, church, we can see a wonderful illustration of the gospel. I mean, leprosy represents sin, and they're crying out. Obviously, they're at a distance. They are made far from God. Lepers had to be kept away. And they're crying out. They are healed. They are cleansed. David said, Lord, cleanse me of my sin. There's an illustration here for the gospel. In this, all were healed, but not all church were saved. I love it where it says your faith has made you whole or healed you here. The Greek word is actually sozo. And so we actually see salvation coming to the one who returned, praising and giving thanks. So a question I want to ask is that when is the last time you have actually cried out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on me? In any scenario, in anything going on in your life, and when is the last time you fell on your face before God and truly gave Him thanks? Lord, I need You to intervene in this issue because I can't do it. 
And when God intervenes, do you fall on your face and thank Him for what He has done in your life? Church, a grateful heart is a game changer in God's kingdom. It radically changes our attitude and our character as Christians. And today we're going to deal with giving thanks. But the first thing I want you to see, church, is that ingratitude is a heart condition. A lot of verses here I want to share. Paul is writing to his young disciple. He is teaching in the faith. And here it is in his second letter. He says, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Raise your hand if you know who David Jeremiah is. If you're not listening to David Jeremiah, young people say, well, he's just too old. Um, This man is brilliant, and he has a finger on the pulse of our culture and what is happening in the world. If you haven't yet, listen to what he is saying in the recent months. There will be times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, just for a moment, go back to proud. I got a text. I was sharing this with Merritt this morning. I got a text from a pastor friend who was doing a conference. Uh, people on his district. He is a district superintendent. And he said he was preaching um, spirit of offense. He said an old lady stood up in the middle of service and apologized for the way she had treated him. She had resented him and caused problems. And I was taken aback by getting the text because... When is the last time you got an apology? Who apologizes anymore? People are too proud. I've gotten one heartfelt apology in all my years of ministry. One. For the the things that have happened and and the trouble people have caused. And I just think, wow, in an open forum. See, today, even if they don't come to see you privately, they just kind of move on and they brush it under the carpet because people are too proud proud. The last days, they'll be proud, arrogant. It was, I was right all along. Abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful. It's phenomenal to think about. This is, in, this is evidence of end times. Unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, Not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Paul tells Timothy, avoid these type people. Now this is not a message on the last days. Now next week we will deal with last days because Jesus gets into that. But Paul is sharing some evidence of the last days here and the thing that we see is that people will be unthankful. They just don't, they're not grateful for what they have, and they're not grateful for these things in any given moment. Of course, you know, it's a, it's a message of prophecy of what has happened in the past, the present, and the future. But we see that people who are ungrateful, it is true evidence of the last days. And there have been, always been sinful people in this fallen world since Adam and Eve have sinned. But there's a difference when it intensifies. There's always been wickedness. If you read the Scriptures, I mean, God flooded the earth because every thought and intention of the heart had become evil. So He sends His flood to destroy everyone. If you read the book of Judges, you're like, wow, there's some wicked things that happen. If you read the story of Sodom and Gomorrah that everybody's afraid to talk about today, there's wickedness in Sodom and Gomorrah. 
These things are real. It is wicked. The difference is a world that was in a culture that was in darkness and came to the light is a good thing. But if you have light and you step back into darkness, it is worse. It is worse for those who have seen the light and tasted of the things of God that are good and walk back into darkness. And we are seeing that in our culture. In fact, I would say we are seeing this happen in real time. You know, when you were young, you heard about prophecy and you always thought like, wow, this is ages to come. And you're reading prophecy today and you're like, wow, this is happening in real time. We can just watch the news and you see it unravel. This is scripture. This is prophetical for us. Here it is, Uh, we're seeing increased population who have forgotten God's goodness and they have become ungrateful. And here it is, Um, we are living with people uh, who are very ungrateful and have a spirit, we should be having a spirit of gratitude by the way. I mean, I am thankful that we get to do ministry together. We just came out of pastor appreciation, we are thankful. I mean, when I looked at that table and it's overflowing, it looked like that, you know, just a Thanksgiving picture, you know, and a Christmas, all the goodies. We are thankful as pastors and as the Elkins family for those things. We are, we are thankful for those things. We should be grateful. When you grab onto Christ and His kingdom and the work, um, you see things to be grateful for. If anything, we should thank God for Him saving our soul, right, church? Ingratitude denotes spiritual immaturity. Um... Like a child, children are rare to tell you thank you. You give them what they want, they move on to the next thing. Uh, They're not very, it's a spirit of immaturity if we're not a grateful people or um, lost people. But we've reduced God into an overly permissive parent that gives anybody whatever they want because we've kind of taken this great God, we've pulled him down and made him into an earthly parent And all we want is the blessings and not the blesser. I mean, our culture wants their family. They want their parents. So they can either live in the home and then take care of them, or they just kind of use them along the way. They're not grateful for their parents' involvement in life. They're treating God like an overly permissive parent. and, And when they get what they want, then they play the thankful game. They're not necessarily grateful, but they say thank you. There's a big difference. It's kind of like your kid, and your kid gets a gift at a party or something. You're like, tell them thank you. Tell them, be thankful. <laughs> Miss Emma, if you saw Emma just... Thank you. You know, that's not what we're talking about. You know, we need to have a grateful heart. Um, oftentimes, if we don't get what we want, then we're disappointed with God. Or maybe God's not good, and we doubt His goodness along the way. Um, but here it is. Why did only one cleansed leper return to thank Jesus? A few suggestions have been made. One, one waited to see if the cure was real. Maybe they kept walking. We'll wait and see if this really takes. One waited to see if it would last. One waited to see, and they thought that, well, maybe I'll see Jesus later and I'll thank Him then. One decided that he had never really had leprosy. And I tell you what, our minds are twisted that way. I was never really in this problem, even though God rescued us from it. One said he would have gotten well anyway. One gave glory to the priest when they went to the priest. One said, oh well, Jesus didn't really do anything. One said, any rabbi could have done that. 
One might have said, I was already getting better anyway. Church, we're dealing with a culture that just is not thankful. Uh, over the years, we've had people come and go in church. And uh, I'm excited about what God is doing. God is changing hearts and changing lives. But along the way, obviously, we deal with uh, other things. I remember a family who was struggling financially. Huge family. They started coming to the church. This older gentleman who was from Texas uh, they had had oil wells in the past, and then the government closed these oil wells, so they weren't getting the money, and there was this long story. They were doing work in North Carolina where we were, and they had lost work. We're praying for this family. Their kids are coming, and their grandkids are coming. I mean, it was exciting in this tiny little church when you have a family of like eight, nine, or ten come, you know. And we're praying for this guy, and the work begins to come. And when the work came they begin to stop coming to church because they got the blessing. They didn't want the relationship with the blesser. And so we need to make sure that we have the blesser first in our priorities. So the second thing I wanted you to see today, church, and as time is getting away, um, a grateful heart here. The one leper that returns, it says here, then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. And Jesus reminds them this guy was actually a Samaritan, and everybody that's listening, um, like, oh, you know, any, any Jew would have been like, oh, the Samaritan gave thanks. You know, that's bad. And this can be perplexing. Obviously, Jesus had told them to go see the priest. That was Levitical law. If you had leprosy, you were put out of the camp. If you were traveling, you had to yell out unclean if you had leprosy. You could not come to worship. You're basically excommunicated from worship. But they had a process. If you were healed, you had to come and present yourself to the priest who could re restore you to the community of faith. So Jesus tells them, you go obey the law, go present yourself to the priest so you can re-enter the community. And as they're leaving, they're healed, but one recognizes, wow, and they go back and they thank Jesus. It says something about our heart. Unthankful people or ungodly people. Thankful people. It says something about a heart that has been transformed. That we recognize God's goodness. That we recognize that this is God moving. And I want to worship Him. I want to thank Him. I want to be grateful to God. A heart of gratitude says something about you. It says that um, this is the mighty God I've trusted. We've prayed for people over the years, and at times I've had to remind them, we prayed for this when they got it. Oh, I'm struggling, Pastor. I just don't have enough work. Blah, blah, blah. Prayed. You got work. Be thankful to God. I'm struggling on this, preparing for this exam as we were doing ministry to college students. We pray for this person. Guess what? We aced it. Yes, you prayed for that. We prayed for these things. Give glory to God. And today, again, people want the healing without the healer. I mean, that's kind of how we do life on a regular basis. You know, it's fascinating if you read through Scripture, you, you kind of see how the people of God respond. In the Old Testament, you see a heart of gratitude. The entire book of Psalms is always praising and giving thanks to God. I, we praise you, O Lord. We thank you for your goodness. Daniel, even when the law was signed that you could not pray, goes home and prays and gives thanks to God. That's fascinating. I still am. I st that was one of the first sermons I ever did in 2003 was on Daniel. And I am still perplexed 
that he went home and thanked God. It is awesome. It says something about your heart. Christians have a grateful heart. The apostles, when they were arrested and beaten, came out praising God that they could partake in the sufferings of Christ. Um, Job, the Lord gives good things in our life. There's bad things that happen. Blessed be the name of the Lord regardless of what I faith. Regardless of what I see. That's a hard thing to learn. But it's a heart of gratitude that I trust in Jesus Christ. So why be grateful, church? A few things real quick. One, it puts us in the center of God's will. Paul says that. We are to give thanks in all circumstances. Why? It is the will of God for your life. Do you want the will of God for your life? Start thanking God. Two, it brings peace when you're seeking Him and praying and thanking Him. Peace comes into your life. Third, it helps us to see God. Why and how does it help us to see God? The man who had leprosy, who was healed and returns, looks back at the one who healed him and now draws near to him, falls down and worships him. It restores a relationship. It brings you close to God and you glorify God and God alone. The fourth thing, gratitude brings contentment. It deepens our faith. It leads to joy. It defies Satan's lies in our life because Satan will tell you God is not good. He has allowed this to happen in your life. In fact, that's what he did to Adam and Eve. Has God said that you cannot eat of every fruit that is in the midst of the garden or in the garden here? So what? he plants a seed to doubt God's goodness. God is holding something back. When we're thankful, it defies Satan's lies. It guards against envy and covetousness, teaches us patience, and to wait on God's timing. Fifth, a grateful heart is a testimony. When people see that you are gracious and have gratitude through the trials of life, as James says in the first chapter, first few verses, count it all joy when you face various trials because it produces patience in you. People see that and it is a testimony. That we don't lose our temper and go nuts when something happens. It's that we bow our head and seek God in prayer and His will for our life. We bow before Him. Psalm 105, 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon His name. Make known His deeds, His good deeds among the people. That is a testimony. Making it known. God has been good to us. He takes care of us. Yes, we face the trials of life, but I trust in Jesus Christ. I am thankful to Him. In church, in closing... I want to share, a, I love history. I've been sharing a lot of history. Hang with me just for a few minutes. In 1860, the Lady Elgin, a steamboat, collided with a freighter on Lake Michigan and began to sink less than a mile from the shore. Um, hundreds of passengers began screaming. It's in the icy waters of the night. And Edwin Spencer was a student at a nearby seminary. Him and some of the other students, they run down to the shore and they, they go to the beach and they're jumping in and out. They're bringing people in. People are swimming and trying to hold on to debris. And over time, he ends up saving 17 people. Exhausted, he sat down on the shore. Uh, he, sp he spotted two more people in the water. and He's exhausted and he can't move anymore. Later in the infirmary, he begins to cry out, Did I do my best? He's just kind of in a, a fit, you know, he just can't move anymore as he wrestled against the waves. Did I do my best? Did I do my best? As over 300 passengers were on that boat. Uh, only about a third were rescued or saved, and he rescued 17. Later, a hymn would be written based on, did I do my best for Jesus? Based on his story as he cried out, 
His own health, however, was permanently damaged by his act of heroism. He was never able to return to school and ultimately lived out the rest of his life as an invalid. He was never able to do ministry after that. Years later, a reporter doing a story on Great Lake tragedies found Spencer at a nursing home in California. And he gives him an interview and he asks him of the memories of that night. And any time somebody asks you to share of a traumatic thing, it puts you in that moment. You, it, it makes anxiety arise when you're having to relive these things. You're telling the story. And he says this bitterly. The only thing I remember is that not one of the 17 ever thanked me. And I was reading that about that interview, and obviously he didn't do it to be thanked. Uh, you know, Jesus didn't save you. For you to thank him. But if you are saved, it says something about you if you give thanks. So as we close in prayer, it's just simply this church. Let's give thanks to God. Let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, we love you this day, and uh, Lord, we give thanks to you. We thank you for saving our soul. Thank you, God, for saving my soul. We thank you for your goodness. And I pray that you give us eyes to see your mercies along the way, the new mercies that appear each day. Lord, that we are a thankful people, that we quit looking for the world's comfort, that we are content in what you have given us. That way we are thankful all the more when you show us or give us something new. And as you do give us more, we pray that we are giving to others, that they may thank you and give glory to you. Lord, as this world is becoming more wicked, an unthankful, ungrateful people. Let us be a people of light, love, and life who are thankful for all the things you've given us in all circumstances, for this is your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, you are dismissed. Go in grace and peace. God bless you.